0: Hey everyone, you're on air with Ella and welcome to today's bonus episode. This is a bonus to episode 085 about parenting. Well, if you want to study in vulnerability, interview your kid on air. <laughs> I had such a good time having Bee on the show, but I was scared to release it, of course, because to put yourself out there is one thing, but to put your child out there is quite another. I wanna thank you so much for the love and the comments that you guys shared about that episode. And today I wanna share some tips with you just as a bonus follow-up to that episode. So I shared a few of my own parenting guidelines and tips, and I am so not an expert, so, so not an expert. But hey, we're all in this thing together. And I reached out to you on social media and I said, share some of your most distinctive parenting rules with me. And I want to share some of those with you guys today. Now, if you don't have kids, feel free to skip. However, I think you'll find some of this rather enlightening. And if it inspires you to recall any tips that your own parents used in raising you that really worked for you or didn't work for you that you want to share, I'd still love to hear from you because this series is just going to continue to develop and grow. We are still focused on the Life Wheel Balance series, and while we are spending a little bit of time in the parenting and family section, it is by no means limited to people who have actually had kids yet. Maybe you haven't had children yet. Maybe you're not even thinking of having children. I think you'll find that some of these rules are interesting. They're actually, some of them are applicable even to us today in our adult lives. So listen in. Here we go Okay, you guys, I have more content from you than I could even share, but I'm going to share what I heard from you, and then I'm going to share some very specific things that exist in my own world that my husband and I try to implement on a regular basis, so stick around for those okay one of the hot topics that came up was our kids and technology and a lot of you had a lot to say about cell phone usage i'm going to share some of that with you here but also this applies to other electronics basically anything that constitutes screen time so heather wrote to me and she said my 16 year old daughter who has a boyfriend has to plug in her phone in our master bathroom every night at 10 o'clock It started in the kitchen but we soon realized that she was sneaking into the kitchen late at night and texting so the phone in our bathroom ensures that the boyfriend communication cuts off at 10 and she's getting good sleep without distraction Heather very rightly points out that the phones are the ultimate distraction the biggest time suck of all our kids have the ability to stay in constant contact with each other which isn't always so healthy in her opinion and in mine, Heather, I hear you. She recalls that her boyfriend, when she was in high school, had to call the house landline if he wanted to talk with her. He had to have an awkward exchange with one of Heather's parents, and then she had to talk with him on the phone that was connected to the wall with an actual cord. <laughs> Heather, I too recall those days. For those of you that don't, this is still useful insight. If we're sleeping with our phones dinging and pinging all night, you know that doesn't constitute a good night's sleep. You already know that I highly, highly recommend that your phone go in airplane mode if you use it as an alarm. That way it's not radiating at you all night, or at least much less so. If it's still powered on, it can be in airplane mode and not bothering you. But Heather, thank you. I love those tips for your kid, and well done you for thinking to put it in the master bathroom. That's genius. So John wrote to me and said, I explained that the phone was not theirs, that they were ours. I stayed up on technology and I inspected their content, texts, pictures, etc. My wife and I explained that they had no choice what people sent them, but they had complete and total control over what they wrote and what they did with the things that were sent to them. It's easy for kids to hide behind the anonymity of keystrokes. They'll say things virtually that they would never say out loud lori that's his wife and i inspected their phone and found that there was a parenting opportunity at every turn i bet you did john they came to realize that the phone was a privilege and not a right we weren't afraid to take the phone sometimes we restored privileges one step at a time the phone he says was more important to them than the car those are great tips john he also says about other technology, TVs, computers. He said, we didn't put TVs or computers in their rooms. We didn't eat in front of the TV. We ate at the table. The TV was always off. The boys helped with the dishes after dinner and they also learned how to say the blessing before dinner. So we're actually going to talk a little bit more about dinners together. But John, these are such great technology points. And guys, just consider, I mean, I, I would never put a television in my son's room. And before I sit back and feel super righteous about that, if he's allowed. Allowed to have his phone or tablet in his room, what difference does it make that I won't let him have a television? I mean, that's like dinosaur technology relative to what he does have. So that is food for thought. When you think about their phones and their tablets, if they have them, that is a 24 24- hour hour all access pass to whatever they want it is so much more risky in this regard than television a television creates an environment in your kid's room that frankly in my humble opinion doesn't need to exist but when you think about it how is the phone any better i love 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 heather's tip to put it in the master bathroom i love that idea thanks heather thanks john Let's talk more about dinners. So many people wrote in and said that family dinner time was sacred and that no matter what, they tried to do that every night or three times a week, and in some cases, one night a week. Honestly, in my opinion, this falls in the start where you are, use what you have, do what you can category. Whatever is better for your family is better. You know what I mean? So we do this most of the time, but not all the time. A couple of our dinner rules here, they're not even rules. They're just habits that we don't even talk about because they're so ingrained. The TV is not on during dinner. Now, there are a few exceptions and they feel exceptional. If there's something monumentous occurring or if it's the Olympics opening ceremony or something of that nature, then the TV might be on while we're eating a meal. We are still eating at the table. Never, ever, 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 ever in the living room. (laughs) (laughs) It's just not the environment that I want to create. And by the way, there is no judgment here. I'm just answering questions that you guys are asking, okay? I'm not pretending to be the authority here. Uh, Trust me, ask anyone am not the authority. But Christy says, we do family sit down dinners and as many other meals as possible. My kids are still little, so I'm hoping that with the practice now, it will continue as they get older and busier. I think the uninterrupted face-to-face time will be very valuable as life goes on. Christy, I couldn't agree more, thank you. So John, who mentioned not having the TV on during dinner, he had a couple of other comments about dinner that I love and want to share with you. He said, dinner time was our one meal together as a family. No phones were allowed at the table. And if the phone rang while we were eating, we let it ring and ring and ring. He said, we were uncomfortable at first, but we didn't answer any phones or initiate any calls or texts during dinner. And it didn't matter who was calling. It was uncomfortable at first, but we all got used to it. During dinner, he says, we played a game called high-low. We went around the table and everyone shared their high-lows of the day. When they had friends over, they actually enjoyed playing too. Again, our dinner was our time. Sometimes we'd have to wait and eat very late, even on school nights, after practices, games, etc. It didn't matter. We were going to eat as a family, and we were all going to eat the same thing at the same time. They didn't have to finish everything, but there were no substitutes. If the meal wasn't finished, there was no dessert, no after-dinner snack, etc. We don't have picky eaters now, and as young adults, they're willing to try most things. There's a lot there, John. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. I talked a little bit about this in the episode with B in 85, and he was pretty clear about the fact that he can make many of the food choices himself if we're out dining, but he always has to have two servings of vegetables with a dinner, a restaurant dinner. If he's ordering something starchy like the pasta dish, and there's no protein, then we always add a protein to. But if we're eating at home, there just always are two servings of vegetables. And by the way, that's not always two vegetables. It's just two serving sizes and secondly i'm fairly loose so in the morning if he's making an egg or something like that then i'll encourage him to put salsa on it because no i don't consider salsa a vegetable in my repertoire but i'm gonna take it for his all right i'll accept that Building this habit for him, and it's not stringent, it's just a habit, it's not some sort of strict, strict rule, um, some checklist that we go by every single meal. But just developing it as a habit means he will go into adulthood having much healthier habits than I did. I had to relearn everything. So that's been working really well for us. Okay, a couple of other things came up from you guys. Um, Lee commented about cars. Uh, She said, if they're going to have their own car, then they buy it or do a 50-50 match. I'm going to interrupt Lee here for just a minute and say that 50-50 match, that's what my parents did with me. It was so incentivizing to know that for every dollar I earned and saved, it represented $2 with which I could purchase a car. That was enormously, enormously motivating for me. And I can't think of too many better ways to help teach your kids about spending and saving and gratitude and earning and work ethic than some of these big rocks like cars and their first smart phone and things like that. So Lee goes on and says, if it is a car that you are providing, it is your car and they have the privilege and the honor of driving it as long as they meet your expectations. So make sure you set those expectations. For example, let me know where you are going, who with, and when you will be back. If they don't meet these expectations, no more car. One more rabbit hole, at least have them vested in the gas or part of the insurance payment or something of that nature so that everything is not just handed to them on a silver platter. Now, parenting tips are very, very personal and everybody's doing the best that they can with what they have. So please don't think that I am writing the book on this, but I just would encourage all of us in this generation now where even the poorest amongst us have so much more than people in other countries or in another time in history, that there is so much abundance that We don't want our kids to be immune to that abundance. We want them to recognize it for what it is, which is a privilege and abundance, not normal, not baseline. So spoiling our kids, I think that's something that I definitely do without meaning to, and even being sort of hyper aware of it. I still do it. I think it's almost impossible not to do it that said, just like food, I can't necessarily change his entire context, but I certainly can go out of my way to create opportunities, to lay a foundation, to create perspective, and to help him develop some of the understanding of what these things mean so that I can raise like a really great man. That's my goal. Okay, I'm I'm running away with myself here. Okay. Couple other tips. We touched on food. Dee Dee wrote in and said, My rules? Pretty simple. Eat what's on your plate, show respect, and look people in the eye when they are talking to you. I love that. Okay, I got some comments on Instagram that I want to share with you too. And wait for it because there's about to be some controversy. Okay, so Laura Martini 7 says, My rule is to treat everyone with respect. Always say please and thank you and take care of their own bodies. Krista 1 USA says, actively listen i think that's so important and i talked about that with b i have to tell you sometimes i completely suck wind at that i and it's clear even to my son that i'm not actively listening ouch (laughs) walkwoman12 hey walkwoman12 i love seeing you on insta all the time as a parent of two young adult girls i have always tried to set a good example Our discussions have now shifted from did you register for the SATs to very insightful discussions about their jobs, the upcoming election, and what goals they are setting for themselves. I love that Walk Woman 12. I love the evolution of our relationship with our kids. And I love that you're now having more of a peer-to-peer relationship with them as they are young adults and moving into adulthood. That is so cool. Sully Mommy. Hey, Sully Mommy. Love seeing you in here, too. She says, be thankful, be respectful, be supportive, and be You. Sully, mommy, I couldn't have said it better myself. Now I'm going to be controversial, okay? Because Little Homestead Big Life, with all the love in the world I know, says, mine is to always treat my kids like equals and listen to their thoughts and opinions. They don't get a lesser say because they are younger or smaller. And first of all, I know that you are a mom extraordinaire and you are way better at this than I am. Like, no doubt. But I'm going to openly disagree with you here. My household, friends, just for the record, it's not a democracy. My child, who I love and respect, does not live in a democracy. It is, at the best of times, a benevolent dictatorship. A benevolent dictatorship is a form of government in which an authoritarian leader exercises absolute power over the state, but does so for the benefit of the population as a whole. I am a benevolent dictator. My son knows I am not his friend. My son knows that while I want to hear from you, my good and faithful person that I am leading into adulthood, you get a vote, but I don't have to listen to it. You have an opinion but mine wins. You have a voice, and I want you to speak up, especially if you feel that something is not fair or that you're not being represented correctly, and I might still override you. At the end of the day, I don't know what happened to my generation, friends, but I don't know when our kids became our best friends, but holy crap, no. (laughs) My son knows that his parents are in charge. And I honestly think at the end of the day, that builds more security in him and builds more security in our household. Now, I'm not picking on this listener and their comment, by the way, because it's an Instagram comment and it's totally taken out of context. Okay. So, so this is not, <laughs> this is not some sort of diatribe directed at that person. I will say that observationally, when I look at particularly my generation, I have no idea where this message got twisted, but my parents, they did not think I was their friend. They listened to me. They respected me. They wanted me to have an opinion. They never, ever, ever led me to believe that my opinion would trump theirs in any way on any matter. (laughs) They taught me to speak up. They taught me to believe in myself. They taught me that I could be anything that I worked to be. (laughs) And they also made it really clear that they were in charge. That's my philosophy. I'd love to hear from you about yours. Okay a couple things that I did not go into detail about on the episode with B that I do want to share with you here include some tips around food and just a few other things. So I want to share a book with you called Little Sugar Addicts that I'll link to in the show notes. That book was wonderful in understanding how food can drive behavior and even exacerbate some behavioral conditions in kids. And I just think anyone with children in their lives or in their future might want to avail themselves of that book. It's called Little Sugar Addicts. And again, I'll link to that. If you want Simple, straightforward recipes. You've heard me say this time and time again, but you guys know I don't cook. Like, I assemble. My meals could not be more simple. My son said that I was a wonderful cook in episode 85. I almost died laughing, but I didn't want to be super disrespectful to his opinion, nor did I want to like persuade him away from that crazy notion. So let's let him have it. But my dinners will consist of vegetables heated in a skillet with some kind of sauce, okay? <laughs> with very, very simple stuff. And I tell you that I steal from the paleo world all of the time just because paleo recipes are very, very simple. Many of them are five ingredients or fewer, which is my criteria. And they just use simple whole food ingredients simply made. And I can't tell you the last time I spent more than 15 minutes making a hot meal for my son or my husband. I, I, can't, I know that I have, I just can't think of it right now. I'm going to link to a website called paleoparents.com with some resources for simple recipes. But honestly, I would encourage you just to do a web search for paleo recipes. Just start there. Also, the Well-Fed Cookbook by Melissa Julwan. We interviewed her some episodes ago. I'll link to that as well. That was absolutely critical to teaching me how to prepare meals very quickly, but healthfully. Okay, I'm going to flash back to the whole television thing for just a minute. I grew up in a household where a television was always on, honestly, in almost every room of the house, not my bedroom, but in almost every other communal room in the house, a TV was on partially because there were six of us. So, you know, good luck finding an hour where somebody wasn't watching television. And when I had my son, I actually didn't use the television at all. So the way I am raising B is very different than the way that I was raised. And I say that just so you know that I've had both experiences. But let me tell you why the TV was barely on when he was growing up. For the most part, the content on TV is more mature than we can appreciate. I mean, we all know right now the news is extraordinarily, uh, I can't call it mature. We'll just say adult. Actually, it's more like middle school, but don't get me started. Anyway, current events aside, the television is far more mature than we can appreciate as formed adults. Commercials, um, previews for other television shows. I mean, I can't tell you if I've actually sat down to watch something with my son now and we're, you know, watching something together, there might be a commercial on for something else that I, that I would never want him to see. It's kind of like going to see a romantic movie and they promo the romantic movie in the theater with some sort of scary horror flick. And you're just like, Oh my God. So, (laughs) so honestly, I'm making it sound, I'm making a bit of a mountain out of a molehill, but in general terms, There's very little on the television that's going to contribute to my son turning into the kind of person that I want him to be. So I just didn't let the TV run as background noise. That was something that was important to my husband and I, and we've stuck to it. Now, in a similar vein, for people with kids of any age, and they don't have to be your kids, they could be your friend's kids, your nephews, your nieces, whatever, cursing, no bueno. My language can be creative at the best of times, but not around my kiddo. And it's not because I'm trying to grow him in some sort of protective bubble by any stretch of the imagination, but my son looks up to us as the adults. And my job is to role model the behavior that I expect of him. And if he sees me trash talking or using vulgar language or say any of the language that I use during school hours when he's not around... I'm no saint. I'm not pretending to be one. I'm just saying I mod- I don't want to model that behavior in front of my son. He has his whole adult life to use creatively explicit language, but he doesn't need to see that from me. And something that I see a lot of is people using that kind of language in front of their very young kids And I just, it just kills me because those kids, they're so innocent and they're such clean slates and they're just sponges. And I've i have actually been a little bit uncomfortable before with friends who use language in front of their kids. And I'm like, hey, you know, watch the F-bombs. There's a kiddo right there. And they'll say, oh, she doesn't know what I'm talking about. He doesn't know what I'm talking about. And I'm like, how do you think he learns English? Like, how do you think kids develop language skills? They don't just flip a switch the day they start talking. They have to listen for months and months and months to a language that they don't understand, and it creates the wrinkles in their brain that eventually become their capacity to speak. Please consider how we all learn the English language and mind the content of your conversations, whether you're talking about an ex-husband or how fat you are or something obscene that you saw on television, like the election. (laughs) I had to go there. Mind that they are absolute sponges at every age. Okay, lecture over. Okay, it's going to get harder because There's another point that I have that might be a little controversial, as long as it doesn't sound preachy. I sure as hell don't mind being controversial, but I do mind sounding preachy. So I'm going to say one more time that I'm just sharing with you my experiences. Ain't nobody coming to me for parent of the year, okay? I have 0.0 trophies here for parent of the year. My son only thinks I'm amazing because he has nothing to compare me to. (laughs) One day he'll have kids of his own and be like, God, my mother sucked. Anyway. I love my child so much. I hope I'm a better mom than I think that I am. But please don't think I'm standing on some sort of holy ground here, okay? I'm just sharing. So, some of the most important values to me as a parent are accountability and honesty. And this is not some moral speech about our degrading society, but I have to say, if I can develop a kid who can remain accountable and can remain honest, into his adulthood, he will stand out for no other reason than he is accountable. He will raise his hand when he makes a mistake. He will own it and then he will solve it. And honesty, of course, is a partner to accountability. And I'll tell you something, we have a zero tolerance policy for lying. I have a zero tolerance policy for lying in my marriage. So does my husband, by the way, that's mutual. And I have a zero tolerance policy for lying in every single relationship that matters to me. My son was taught at a very early age that lying about the trivial is no different than lying about the important. There is no difference. This is a core value in our home. It's a core value of mine And it's one that is easy to back down on in the face of white lies or in the face of making an excuse for something. But let me give you an example out of our real life. My son is supposed to be in school this Friday and he won't be there because he is going to be in New York. I'm not, but he is. And he is going up to New York for essentially a family reunion, a fun weekend. He's gonna visit West Point and do lots of fun stuff. And he is now in a school system that he's brand new to, that does not accept that as an excused absence. And I could so easily just pretend he's sick that day, or I could make up a reason that I know is excusable for him not to be in school that day. But I am leading by example. Like he's looking to me and asking me how we're going to manage the situation. And the way we managed it was by going into the office and saying, hey, don't think this is excused, but this is what we're doing. Is there anything we can do to be more in alignment with your policies? And the answer was essentially, not really. And he saw that entire conversation and he understood the point. We don't make excuses. We don't create fabrications. There's no such thing, in my humble opinion, as a small lie. And further, when you lie in family situations, like the silly example that I just shared with you, You're actually very often putting your kid in the position where they have to lie with you or support your lie. Like that's not cool at all. So let's say you're trying to get out of a family dinner or something like that. Having your kids support your fabrication, it's just not a talent I want to develop in my kid. I'm still not even to the hard part. Here's the hardest, hardest, hardest part of parenting for me. Let them feel the hard stuff. I'm going to say that again. Let them feel the hard stuff. Let them feel pain. Let them feel loss. Let them feel loneliness. Let them feel sorrow. Let it happen. This is the worst, the absolute worst. Watching your kid hurt is like taking your heart outside of your body and stomping on it. It is just the absolute worst. But please consider the alternative. If we don't let our kids feel then they will never learn how to cope. If they don't learn how to cope, they will look for coping mechanisms when they feel those feelings as adults. It's dead simple, but it's so not easy. But here's the deal. Even if my child has been treated very poorly, believe me, I will deal with it in the appropriate manner. If that does occur and it truly matters, it's not just some silly child nonsense, then believe me, I will deal with it. But I will not rob my child of the ability to feel his feelings. I will not protect him from failure. I will not protect him from loss. I will not protect him from fear. I will not protect him from any of those things. In fact, I will teach him how to stand in those things, to be in those feelings, and then through his own resolve and faith, get out of them. That is so different than trying to protect our children from even having those experiences in the first place. If this is confusing in any way, and if it sounds like I would not protect my child, then I'm giving you the wrong impression. I would protect my child from harm, but I won't protect him from learning how to deal with life. I hope you understand the nuance between those two things. My child happens to be much more innocent and naive than uh, than I was at 15, And Not that I was exactly streetwise, but he just happens to be particularly innocent, if you will. It would be so easy for me to wrap him up in cotton wool and never let him be hurt or harmed by any of the things that happen around him. And what a disservice I would be doing to him. Like, I'm growing a man to live in this world, not in a cotton wool world where nobody's ugly and nobody gets their feelings hurt. So, again... There, is, there should be zero confusion about the fact that I'm not talking about protecting my child from harm. If somebody uh, had any evil intent toward my child, I would probably kill them and end up in prison. Um, I think that goes without saying. But with regard to some of the normal threshold day-to-day stuff, I just want everything to be something that my child learns his own character out of. So I hope that makes sense. I think that's one of our greatest disservices. So my two big cultural moral statements are, I think it's super easy to spoil our kids. And I think it's super easy to be overprotective of our kids. Let them fight their own battles until you know adult intervention is required. And if honestly, if the lines are too blurred for you, then seek counsel from someone who you trust and who's objective and That's rarely their grandmother. I'm just saying. (laughs) There's one more thing I want to say. This is the most important thing to me and to my family. And I'd be remiss and a little bit of a coward if I didn't mention it. It was so important to me to raise my child to understand that I was not his highest power. So one of the most essential elements in my dynamic with my child is just having him understand that he has a creator, that I am not his highest power. And the reason that's important is because I am so human. I fail my child on an hourly, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. I know that. All parents do. I know that. I give myself that grace. Like, I get that. But... It is fundamentally and essentially useful for him to understand that there is something so much bigger than I, so much bigger than we, and so much bigger than he, and that force will always be there for him. And he is absolutely loved under any circumstance. When you can be open to that concept and when you can have that type of conversation with your child, it just builds a deep rooted security that frankly, I can't create on my own. So that's just one more element that's super powerful and impactful in my parenting relationship with my child. Okay guys, that's it. I hope you found some of these parenting strategies entertaining, some of them useful. Tell me where you agree, tell me where you disagree. I can't wait to hear from you. Keep it coming. Bye for now.